Welcome to this episode of Against the Mountains of Madness. I'm your host, Jason Rennie. And I'm John C. Wright. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about, is it good to be good? What does that mean? Uh, why would you want to do it? And what are the benefits of doing so? So part of this is, of course, a pretext to talk about the theory of natural law. Um, maybe we should start there, John. What do you think? Let's start there because we can say what the real answer is and then go back to say why the why the bogus answers are bogus later on. Now, I should say... Sounds reasonable. I, I call it a bogus answer, but I should be quite gentle uh, when I say so because philosophers and sages of East and West have pondered this puzzle for many generations since the Bronze Age, and uh, the answers are not always clear, and there always seem to be confusions and conundrums involved, no matter what your answer is. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the real answer is that being good is difficult, not fun at all times, <laughs> and uh, there's something in the human nature, there's something in our hearts that really wants us just to, you know, have fun and and uh, be evil. This is the this is one of the paradoxes of being human, isn't it? We're not we're not animals and we're not angels. We're something in between. We are. We are fallen. We are we we work. We're good. Cre we're good creatures that are. Um, we're not bad creatures. We are good creatures that are um, defaced and uh, like a cracked mirror. We're also something like centaurs or sphinxes, which uh, you can think of as an image or a symbol of man trying to emerge from his animal nature, and especially the sphinx, who always asks the question of what is man. Maybe she's trying to find out to turn into one because she wants to get rid of her. Her lion nature, her bestial nature that is dragging her down, you know. But uh, yes. half man, half animals always end up killing you, which I think is the point of the myth in the uh, in the Sphinx. I never understood why she killed herself. Maybe it's because she found out she couldn't be one, you know. But uh, the the question of what is man and the question of why be good are related questions. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, of course. Let's start by saying a little bit about uh, natural law. Do you, want, do you want me to say something, or do you want or do you want to say something? I can I can I can take that if you Go like. Ahead. So natural law theory, the the term natural law comes from our old friends the Stoics back in Greek times, or back from ancient Greece, and the idea behind natural law, uh, which is also found in Eastern traditions in things like the Tao Te Ching and in Jewish tradition with the Noahide commandments and uh, in the Christian tradition with the law written on the heart. I believe the Islamic tradition has something similar as well, but I don't know what they call it. Um, but this essential idea is that all human beings have a knowledge of right and wrong. It's it's innate, but it's not. It's slightly difficult because uh, the classic example is something like uh, everybody knows to murder people is wrong. Right. Um, and but to it's it's not it's not oh you're born with that knowledge but as soon as you understand the concepts of killing people and it not being justified and doing it to another person you understand it's wrong to do this that this is not a, this is not the right thing to do once you understand the basic concepts. Let me interpose a um, an sure. analogy. I have heard from people who know better than I that young birds, if raised in isolation from their mothers, will sing a song similar to what their their racial song is, what the birds of that type usually sing, but usually not quite right, like one or two notes off. So the mother bird actually does have to teach the bird how to sing, but she doesn't teach tabula rasa, she doesn't teach a complete blank slate. She teaches a bird yes. that is already inclined to do it that way. Now, Oh, there you go. Now, I like that. I noticed that when I was raising my boys, I did have to teach them how to tell the truth, but I didn't have to teach them how to lie. They lied naturally. <laughs> as soon as they understood what words meant, they realized that they could probably fool me by saying, oh, a monster ate the cookies. Say, so even though the cookies were, were all rubbed all over their face. Now, I didn't go there and say, hey, Johnny, when you want to get ahead in life, uh, utter a falsehood and the, the bad people will go away and they'll think that they, and, and shift the blame to someone else. No, no, that's natural. But I submit to you mm -hmm. that you can't have a natural knowledge of how to do wrong unless you also secretly have a knowledge of how to do right because the, what wrong is, is when you're not doing right. So they naturally, without me teaching them, told lies to me when they were like two. And they naturally looked guilty when I said, wait a minute, 
You see? Now, where did that come from? Where did mm. that guilt come from? That shame? How did How they know? They know this, yeah. How did they know they were doing wrong? Well, the, the, the Stoic exactly theory of the ancients was that this knowledge is written in the hearts of all men. And the Christians said the same thing. Hmm. Paul said the same thing. Probably borrowed the phrase from them. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, it's, it's important to remember that Christianity is not just Jewish. The, the Galilee was a Roman colony. They, they, they were an overlap of mm. two worlds. So. Mm. But uh, yes, and the natural law is there are some basic things that all people understand. Now, it's worth noting, you don't have to understand natural law theory to understand the natural law, if that makes sense. There's complicated theories that try to explain it and work out what is in and what isn't in the natural law and things like that. But understanding the basic idea doesn't require understanding the details of particular theories. Um, it's been said uh, the Ten Commandments are a pretty good summary of what's in the natural law. At least um, seven of them, because the uh, the polytheists do not have an innate understanding of anything being wrong about not reverencing God or, and not keeping the Sabbath. That would be part of, oh, that's not that true, would be part of the Noahide Covenant. Well, hang on. Back up, though. They may not... They, they may have multiple gods, but they still have a concept of um, the holy and the sacred. I stand corrected, so, because if, if, the, if the Ten Commandments were reworded to be more universal, uh, you could say, thou shalt not desecrate the sacred. And all, all cultures preach that. All cultures have certain go. sacred things that they cannot desecrate. Hmm. So they, they understand that concept, even if it's incomplete right. so you have yes uh, the noahide commandments which you mentioned which is in jewish tradition that's the commandments given to all men after the flood right. um and these and these are um these are more stripped down versions of the of the ten commandments they're not quite as strict and they're not quite as strong right. but they're also not revealed in the same way no um i think we should also mention that the reason why it's called natural law is not because we're talking about the laws of nature the way I a physicist would talk about it. We're talking about human nature. We're talking about the way you have to hmm. behave to be a proper human being. And all cultures have this, well, have this kind of concept of what nature demands in us. Uh, the Stoics all, also it's all strikingly it, similar. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's also strikingly similar across cultures. Yes. The the classic example is um, well, the classic example I've always thought of was because um, people talk about how Muslims may have four wives, other. Uh, Christians may have one, and so clearly marriage is, you know, is a social contract, and it's not, but but everybody has marriage. Every, everybody has a regulation of the sexual right. appetites for the purposes of coming together to raise children. Right. Everybody has that. There's, there's regional variety in that, right. but the core idea is the same across cultures, and the natural law is the core idea that that's the other thing um because people will point to differences in um moral practices across cultures but the natural law is sort of always at a deeper level than that well, let's um, look at it this way. because you have you're gone i was just going to say in order when people argue against the natural law they're trying to find these they try to point out how the local variations differ but that's based on a profound misunderstanding of what natural law theory says Natural theory yes. says the principles are the same for all men, but the incarnations, the specific way those principles are played out and are enacted among men, do differ from culture to culture and from time to time. From time to time and place are hmm. different. So, for example, all cultures prohibit, prohibit murder, but not mm -hmm. all cultures prohibit dueling. Not all cultures prohibit uh, private revenge or retaliation. Not all cultures prohibit killing a man of another tribe. It's only the men of your own tribe you're not supposed to kill, you see. So the question is, what's the exception? In in some states in America these days, and I'm talking about now uh, Anglo-American law, not natural law, just within just within the context of Anglo-American law, there are states where you have a duty to retreat if you are threatened with lethal force before you use lethal force to defend yourself. So if you if you kill a man who's attacking you, who's who's threatening you, uh that where the boundary line for the exception falls of self-defense differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, though the, the, the boundary line falls basically in the same place. Some people say you, you have to retreat. Some people say if you're in your own home, you don't have to retreat. For, you don't have to retreat from room to room. Mm. 
for example, if you're in your house. Uh, hmm. The the variation there's all there's a universal prohibition against incest, though some cultures allow for exceptions if the royal family of Egypt, if the king wants to marry his sister to keep the throne in in the family line, that's allowed. But then again, he's a he's a he's a priest king. He's allowed to break the rules because he's the guy who enforces the rules. Or, but just hmm. using the same example, some people say first cousins are inside the incest taboo, and others say outside. That also differs from generation to generation, time, time, place to place. But adultery is always illegal. Stealing another man's wife is always illegal. It doesn't matter whether that other man has four wives or one, you see. So the, the hmm. spirit is the same for all men, and the incarnation differs. That's what natural law theory says. Natural law theory, in other words, does not predict universal human law. And anyone who says the human laws differ from place to place and time to time is not refuting the natural law theory. You see? Hmm. And in it's fact, I would argue that even in order to argue against natural law theory, you have to adopt it. Because here's my question. Hmm. Are you going to argue about it honestly or dishonestly? If you're going to argue about it honestly, then you accept the natural law burden of being honest there's no human law in anglo-american law that says you have to be honest when you talk there are laws that say you have to be honest when you sign a contract there are laws that say you have to be honest when you're advertising there are laws that say you have to be honest when you're dealing with securities and exchanges and they have to not tell lies in certain places but it's not illegal for a politician to lie to get elected for example you know uh mm -hmm. so where the exceptions fall is differs from time to place among the human law but all people say lying is wrong you see, so if well, so, if you're going to argue yes. against, all, they they grant different exceptions, but dishonesty is fundamentally against what C.S. Lewis called the Tao, the honest way. Black lying, black lying is wrong, generally speaking. Black lying uh, across. Well, is that an Australian phrase black... I don't know about? No, 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 no. But it's the concept of black lying versus white lying. Um, when you, when your when your wife when you hang on when your wife says, "Does this make me look fat?" The the wrong answer is the it's it's not necessarily a good idea to be completely truthful because what she's looking for is um she's looking for reassurance and looking for uh, a boost to her confidence she's not looking for you to go she's not looking for the unvarnished harsh truth there or, I, i'm a little you know. taken aback you didn't hear at all what i said the difference is Sorry, where the exceptions say? fall the white lie no, is no. the exception Lying is unlawful according to the natural law. Oh no, I agree. You but all you're lying... saying is that there's an exception for talking to your wife, and uh, uh, I would agree that our society does not frown at people who flatter their wives, because well, yes, I mean, you, have a, you have a duty to do that. That's but that's an exception. Well, lying, saying false things, I... still against the natural law. It clearly is. I don't. Gen I don't see how you can argue the point. Well, I was going to say, generally speaking, um, at least from what I've read, um, so certainly what is always wrong everywhere is to lie to another person for your gain. Sure. Without question. Like, that's that's sort of always beyond the pale. And then there's certain social lies that are um, acceptable and just part of uh, having your culture sort of be lubricated so everybody gets on. How are you doing today? In very, um, the correct answer is, oh, I'm fine, thank you. Regardless of how you are, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's the the right response is, oh, I'm fine, but, thank you. But there's no intent to deceive there. Now, here's the reason why the people no, but that's, who argue that's, against that's it. Yes. Here's the reason why the people who argue against natural law get so much traction. It's because of conversations like this one, where you and I can't seem to agree as to whether or not lying is <laughs> lying is against the natural law. But you and I are merely having a terminal terminological disagreement, a, 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 a semantic argument as to what the word lie means. You see, that's true. Uh, the the we can agree that there are cultures, let's say the ancient Chinese, where there's a higher value on courtesy than bluntness. Okay, those are yep. both things required by the natural law. Being rude to people is there's every culture, every man, every time knows that going out of your way to be rude is not acceptable. But there are certain cultures sure. where there's a very low. I mean, in a uh, in a locker room, in a marine camp, in a in a in a mine. Uh, the, yep. the standards of courtesy are very low for some people, but in the Marines, the standards of courtesy are extremely high for when you're talking to an officer, because there are certain things you have to do, certain gestures you have to make, certain salutes you have to give that are absolutely enforced, okay? And likewise for the Chinese. Now, 
The thing that makes natural law confusing, the reason why the incarnations differ from time to time and place to place, is because the laws don't all agree with each other. The principles don't always show you how to resolve a conflict between the principles. You see? For example, part mm. of the natural law is to be brave. Courage is admired universally. Part of the natural law is to be prudent. <laughs> Prudence is admired universally. No one likes fools. No culture ever ever said fools are a really, really great thing. That people should be foolish and should, you know, destroy themselves and so on. But there's a question as to whether or not a certain a certain act might be reckless as opposed to brave, foolish as opposed mm. to prudent, or whether it's reckless or prudent to uh, tell your wife that she looks fat in that dress, especially if you're the one who bought her the dress. Okay. Mm. So yes, the reason why natural law is a difficult is a difficult thing to talk about is because the the particular questions of how you enforce it and what laws and how and and what human law you're going to make based on natural law. That is going to be a very difficult conversation based on nuances and experience of how you and your people live your life. And I will grant that certain people should have, in the same way, certain people should have different rules for different households because their their kids may be tempted by different by different shortcomings than other kids. Mm-hmm. People of different lands and places should perhaps have different laws concerning certain certain certainly matters of form, certainly matters of courtesy. I don't think I don't think those are those are natural law. Being courteous is is a part of the natural law, but but the how you express it has to differ from time to time and place to place. You see, but you and I started this conversation with a very a much bigger question, which is why why obey the natural law? Let's assume we could convince the skeptic that there was such a thing as natural law. If yep. he just then said, "Well, who cares? Why should I be good?" Well, what's the you know? There's several possible answers to that. What would you what would you suggest for why be good? Um, well, I guess I'd have to give a Christian answer, which is, um, not say you go to heaven, interestingly, Mm. um, but so it's not, it's not actually for the pursuit of a reward as such, you should be good in part because it's your duty to be good, but also because, yeah, it's, well, it's good to be good. It's, it's profitable for you to be good. It is. Um, to be a virtuous person will make you a better human being. Even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, um, this will make you a better person. And part of this world is soul-making. It's to make you into the sort of creature you are supposed to be, um, which is a little Christ, in a Mm -hmm. sense. Um, I'd say into little gods, but that's wrong. Well, people misunderstand if, if that. You're, if you're we're, Eastern Orthodox, they will understand that language. But again, that's just a linguistic, yeah. that's just a semantic argument. You mean the divinity. Well, the divinity, man is made in the image of God. It was, it was, uh, yes. And the divinity within us has been marred by the fall. And erasing yes. that mar, erasing that mistake, is what our mission here in, on, on Earth is. That's what you're saying. We, we, become, yeah. we become the sons of God. We, we've been adopted. Okay? Yes. And the sons of God That's are like God. So, yes, we are. You can phrase it that way, but you're right. People will misunderstand it if you say. People will misunderstand that I mean something like, you know, I don't know, uh, like the Eastern idea of becoming one with God. It's not. It's different. It's different. Yeah. It'll still be distinct, distinct. And we won't be omnipotent and omniscient at the end of the process right. or anything like we'll that. Just be, so it's we'll not... just be sacred, which is the word. what the word saint means. We'll be saints because our lives will be sacred. Correct. Now, here's there what I, I, I yes. applaud your answer because I'm also a Christian. The non-Christians in our <laughs> audience are no doubt rolling their eyes. But here's what I like <laughs> about the Christian answer. If I were to give a non-Christian answer, uh, oh, no, excuse me. Let, me, let me interrupt myself and say, I disagree with you in one small nuance. I also think sure. that the reward of the joys of heaven is a worthwhile reason to be good. I agree. I, I, think, no, I think that's I, part of the reason. I think part of the but reason it's... is to please God because we love him and we want to please him the same way you want to please anyone. And we would try to do that True. even if there were no reward in heaven. I agree. But the, but, but the reward, the reward of... also helps. No, okay. Well, I was going to hang on. I was going to say, but the reward is, the reward of heaven is in a fairly real sense and is um, as, a, as a cube is to a square, but, um, you know, it's the, it's, it's, more of the same of the right. reward you get here 
for being virtuous anyway right. like it's 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 on a whole nother level it's definitely worth attaining because if you're virtuous here you also lead generally a better life so there's also a certain amount but of it's pleasure and, in a sense and more tranquility. of the same. Yeah. There's also a certain amount of pleasure and tranquility that's involved in becoming a virtuous man. You see, you're not always looking over your shoulder because you're afraid someone caught you lying, caught you stealing, caught you, you know, for for the various enemies you betrayed and the and the various women you cheated on and whatever. Okay. There's also just that practical consideration. It also leads to social. But you'll be better able to handle the travails of this life too. It also leads to social so, certain amount of social utility. Okay. But let me let me return to my theme. Here's what I like. Sure. Here's what I like about the Christian answer. If I were to give a non-Christian answer, I would give one of, let's say, five possible answers. The first okay. one is the hedonistic answer. You should be good because otherwise the law will punish you, and you want to avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's the simplest answer. Better than nothing. That's an answer a child can understand. Do it, or else you'll be spanked. Yeah. Okay. Now, as you well, correctly said, a bit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, well, that's true, and if that will get you to follow the law and nothing else will, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. It's not the best answer. But but it's it's definitely, well, it's definitely the lowest possible answer to the right. question. It's the, it's the worst It's the worst possible correct answer, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, that's what I said. It's, a, it's, it's, a child, <laughs> it's the child's answer. Okay. Because for one thing, it, it assumes that the, the, that the authority who is rewarding and punishing you is also a just one. When the authority is unjust, that answer will make you like the Nazi prison guard who does evil because his evil masters say so, and he wishes to avoid getting in, you know, getting in trouble. So the very answer that is a good answer when you're in a good, when you have a good master, is a bad answer when you have a bad master and you're and you're actually, master, you're actually yeah. doing worse than you would if you had no answer at all. So let's say that's the simplest hmm. answer. But I say I say, I say again, I believe the Christian answer. Uh, takes that answer, takes the good, the best, the good part of that answer, and weaves it into the answer mm. you gave, because the joys of heaven are a thing worth worthy to pursue. Well, it's not, as I said, I don't, I don't think it's a bad answer to the question. It's not a wrong answer to the question. It's just the basest and worst possible a correct answer to the question. Yeah, the child's answer. It's the simplest answer, but it's it's well, not yeah. it's not completely accurate. I just pointed out one possible exception. If if your authority is bad. Oh, that's It'll make true. you bad. Okay. It does. It does presume the authority you are. It does presume the authority you're under is a good authority. Right. Yes. That's so. It's limited. True. It's a limited answer. Yes. And it's it's well, kind I mean, of yeah. wrong. I mean, <laughs> we don't we don't admire people who only do things to avoid pain. I'm sorry, we don't. No, of course. <laughs> okay? It's not an admirable answer. Oh, it's a child's answer. It's better than it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. I, I'll, I'll I'll stick by that. It's better, it's better than, than nothing. It's, it's okay. the basis. So let's let's rank the answers. Question. That's nothing, fine. and then we've got it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. There's no reason to be good. That's the modern answer. Yep. That's the postmodern answer. Uh, then yeah. be good to avoid getting getting. Punished. Don't be spanked. <laughs> okay? That's the child's answer. Then yeah, above that is uh, I would say, uh, you soon find out anyone who's who's wise finds out that a life of avoiding pain and pursuing pleasure is not satisfactory pursuing no. pleasure doesn't actually please you if you haven't found that out yet then you're under 21 you're under the, you're, you're under voting age okay if you have not found out you haven't tried that, hard enough say, say again <laughs> i was going to say you haven't tried it hard enough but look at celebrities they're all drug addicts and miserable yeah so <laughs> because under under the we'll call it the hedonistic answer the hedonistic answer is live fast, die young, leave a good corpse, pursue wine, women, and song, because there is no reason to be good aside from that. Good is what pleases me. Now, that answer is one above the child's answer, because you do have to use a little bit of cunning, at least to get what you want. You have to at least be Don Juan and learn how to seduce women or something. You have to have enough of a job so you can buy uh, uh, enough alcohol and, and drugs to, to carry you through the weekends. Okay. Yeah. But then there's also the question of hangovers, and it's also the question of the fact that uh, false pleasures diminish the return of pleasure after you pursue them. The, the yep. last potato chip is not as tasty as the first potato chip in the bag. The ninth beer in a row is not as, is not as charming as the first beer, okay? And the <laughs> third divorce is probably not as, as, as romantic as the first time you fell in love at, at Sweet Sixteen or something, okay? A life, pursuing a life of pleasure leads to misery. Because mm. it's foolish, okay? So, 
The answers are nothing, which is which is the modern answer, the childish answer, <laughs> and the foolish answer. The foolish answer is uh, a virtue will make you will make you happy. Now, a wiser version of the same answer is is the one proposed by um, Epicurus. Now, Epicurus literally has a bad name because an Epicure is supposed to be someone who pursues pleasure. But what Epicurus mm. actually said is, uh, you should live your life so as to pursue pleasure. But the only true pleasures are virtue, moderation, having good friends, serving your city, uh, paying your taxes on time, and being generally a good man and a good citizen. You know, uh, like like the, the Boy Scout virtues. Being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, and being cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That's what will make you happy. Now, so that philosophy is not hedonism. That's not just the pursuit of pleasure. That's the pursuit of a good life, which has times of tedium and pain, because a good man will undergo hardship for the sake of the good. Aristotle mm. coined the phrase eudaimonism, which means to live in a good spirit. Yep. So that's the next step higher. The wise answer is eudaimonism. But Aristotle didn't know about God, so he gave kind of what I would call a worldly answer. Eudaimonism, the idea of you should be good in order to live in a good spirit, I think is good for social utility. I think that if everyone in society tried to be virtuous merely because that's what made life better for yourself and for everyone, you could have a pretty civilized, polite society that would tend to get along. And in all these cases, in all these cases, I'm assuming that everyone has a basic understanding of right and wrong. Everyone understands the natural law, even if they don't understand natural mm. law theory. You know? <laughs> uh, so we're just dealing with the question of why they're obeying it. Now, the worldly answer is only good for worldly things, though. It's the philosophy mm. of uh, young men in peacetime uh, <laughs> when there's no emergencies going on. Because during wartime and emergency time, sometimes you have to throw yourself on a hand grenade to save your mates. And that's a virtuous act. Mm. I think I think everyone considers it to be a virtuous act. But it's purely altruistic. There's no benefit to you. So if if mm. you're debating with me, let's say you're you're throwing you're you're saying you're halfway on the hand grenade, and you turn to me and you say, John, should I throw myself on the hand grenade or should I push George onto the hand grenade and save us all? Because George, he's not married and he's a cripple. You know, George is not going to lead as happy a life as me now. Instinctively, the natural law tells us that's a horrible thing to throw George on the grenade. <laughs> okay, that's the kind of thing. Yeah. That's the kind of thing a, a, a natural, a national socialist would do, where you, where you, you know, a, a eugenicist would say, well, throw the inferior person on the grenade to save the superior person, for the in the name of evolution. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's horrible. But what? But but if you're but if if you're limited to the worldly view, to to, to the Aristotelian view. You go, well, wait a minute, if I throw myself on this grenade, I'm going to die. And you can't tell me that I'm doing that in order to develop a good character so that I will lead a serene and pleasant, as pleasant a life as possible amidst the turmoil of the world, you see. So that's not the full, that can't be the full answer. So there's got to be an answer above that. Well, the Roman Stoics would say, in life, there's certain things you can control and certain things you cannot control. You cannot control what happens to your body, to your property, to your reputation. You cannot control what offices you get in the state, what your rank is. You can't control whether you're rich or poor. So these things have to be considered indifferent to a man who wants to live a serene life. True serenity consists of self-control, controlling your impulses, controlling your judgments, uh, and controlling your mind. Okay. So a, a true stoic would say, as a soldier, it's my duty to, throw, to, to commit acts of sacrifice when duty calls for, but not to commit suicide merely for my own pleasure. In fact, a Stoic would regard that as, as deleterious. Although the Stoics did commit suicide like samurai, but only, but only to avoid shame, but only to, to help out society. They did it out of a sense of duty. Now, I'm afraid as a Christian, I'm afraid they all went to hell. But maybe the good Stoics like Cato of Utica could get the job of watchmen at the gates of purgatory, which is where Dante in his poem uh, puts Cato of Utica, who was a most stoical man, a most famous Roman. But the Roman, the Roman uh, uh, answer is really hardcore. You live life to do your duty, you, you, and you do it. Why be good? You do it because it is your duty. You do it because you can't control those things that are not that are not your duty. You shouldn't be concerned with them if you can't control them. It's very similar to the Buddhist answer. The Buddha 
looked at the woes and sorrows of the world and said, this is all caused by attachment. This is all caused by desire. If you free yourself from all desire, then you will free yourself from attachment. But the way to free yourself from desire, according to the, according to the enlightened one, according to the Buddha, is to follow the uh, the five the eightfold the path, eightfold of, path. The eightfold yeah. double path, which is to do right thinking, right action, right speech, right righteousness, right rituals, and so on and so forth. Okay. Now that's a very high level answer. answer. <laughs> and the Stoics said something very similar. The Stoics didn't speak about achieving nirvana, but they did speak about achieving ataraxia, which is uh, undisturbed uh, serenity. The Stoic, the Stoic is supposed to be able to suffer uh, serenely, which is why even to this day we use the word Stoic to mean a man who can, uh, you know, stub his toe or, you know, be shot with a bullet and just act like John Wayne. Yeah, I got shot, but let's get a cup of joe first without whimpering or complaining, okay? Stoics don't bellyache. They're kind of admirable. Uh, Mr. Spock on Star Trek is a perfect example of what a Stoic is supposed yep. to be like, okay? But he doesn't live, he would, and he would answer the question as to why to do what, what's good, because it's logical. That is to say, because it's according to nature, according to duty. That's the Stoic answer. Now, the Stoic answer is not very self-aggrandizing. Self, uh, it's not just to seek pleasure. It's not just for some lower, lesser reason. There, the Stoic's eyes, Mr. Spock's eyes are fixed on duty. They're fixed on logic. They're fixed on the truth. They're trying to live <laughs> according to nature. Now... The Christian, I believe, has a higher answer because the Stoic answer, I just think, is too hard. I do not think people can actually detach themselves like the Buddha from all the from all their interests in the world, and I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good to woo a woman without having emotions. Okay, even the Vulcans had to go into the amok time, had to go crazy when they when they tried to woo a woman. But I think it's good to woo a woman if she's the one meant for you. Okay, if she if she's the one who is <laughs> who you're supposed to marry. You see, I'm a romantic. I think romance improves life and makes it better. The Stoics have no, have no time for romance. The Stoics say, to love your wife is to love a cup or some other fragile thing that you know will be broken. And when she dies, you can't complain because you knew she was mortal when you married her. Okay? That is the most iron-hearted and unsympathetic answer I could imagine to say to anyone. And I would not say that at a funeral, you know, because... Like you, I believe that sometimes you should not tell the truth to anyone when it will be uh, when it'll be deleterious to the social harmony. I would not go up to a guy at a funeral and say, "Hey, you knew your wife was mortal when you married her. Why complain? Why why go into mourning now?" No, I think going into mourning is that, absolutely necessary in times of sorrow. It's that's that being that's said, that's not the right answer. The Stoics. That that being that, that being said, on that note, I know I have said to people who have lost lost spouses because I've done the same. Um, Take heart in at least your marriage ended the way it was supposed to. Sure. It ended it ended properly. And actually anyone I've said that to has found that quite comforting. I mean, it's you, you still mourn, you but still mourn. you know there's lots of ways for marriages to end and burying the well, other partner is the way it's supposed I've to I've heard I've heard the rather shocking statistic that a hundred percent of marriages that don't end in divorce end in well, so, <laughs> so yeah, it is. It is. It is the way. Now, Viktor Frankl had an answer that I thought was even more profound, where he was trying to comfort a man who was grieving, and he said, "Either you were going to die first, or she was going to die first. Would mm -hmm. you want? Ha would you have preferred for this grief to be hers rather than yours?" And when the guy realized that he was suffering the grief in order to spare his beloved wife, he could bear it. Because yeah. then the burden had meaning to him, and he was doing it for a good reason, you see. So well, that's, that's another reason why pain cannot be the answer to why be good, because pain is not the ultimate in, in what makes life meaningful, you see. Hmm. But, so, but you've got to be wise to, to see that. So the Stoics, I feel the Stoic answer is, is the same as what you said about the child's answer. It's not wrong, but it's not exactly the best answer. Okay. It's getting better, though. It's getting better. It's better than, so you won't be spanked. <laughs> so you won't be spanked, yeah. It's getting better because, but the the next answer, the next highest answer, I would say, is the utilitarian answer. The utilitarian answer really? says, you, put the utilitarians you should do whatever the is necessary by your, by your social duty to benefit the greatest number of people around you, and you yourself will be benefited in turn if they're benefited in turn. 
Now, that's also very stoical, and it also has a one extreme and very stupid limitation, which is how many businessmen late for a meeting need to be on my bus before it is more beneficial for them to get to the meeting on time than for me to run over a pregnant nun who's in the way. The utilitarian answer makes it so that you're you weighing pregnant human nun. happiness <laughs> in a bound scale by means of number. And when you say that, oh, yeah. why, why don't you say, well, maybe I should do the greatest good for the best people and let the worst people suffer, which is actually also really kind of cruel. <laughs> or you say, well, maybe you should do what is best for what, what I say is best for people. You know, uh, again, I think the utilitarian uh, answer would... is, an, is an attempt. I think the utilitarian answer is an attempt to substitute a procedural answer for a uh, a meritorious answer. It's kind of dodging the question of what is good by just saying, well, good is whatever is good for most people. And that's just, that's just kind of stupid. L lest we be accused of straw manning utilitarians. Um, yes, basic utilitarianism is you do the great you do a you do a calculation to work out the greatest good for the greatest number of people, like it's a giant sink with good coming in and bad going out, something like that, and you need to get the level as high as you can. Yeah. Um, most people who are utilitarians recognize that that is essentially impossible. Um, you you can't do that calculus. It's it's not even theoretically possible really to do that calculus. Right. You're trying to compare things that can't really be quantified like that so they they opt for rule utilitarianism which ends up being let's come up with a set of rules that is the that that maximizes that level of happiness in the system if that makes sense yeah so, it does make sense it's, it's sort of what you're saying they're doing i mean it's i don't i don't think it's good I, I i don't think it's a good answer to the question i still think it has i still think it's defective as an answer but in their defense, at least, that is a more reasonable answer than yep. than the ludicrous answer of trying to do the moral calculus for every case. Right, right. But anyway, I agree. I agree, and I, and, I, and I was. I, I have to admit, I was strawmanning them a little bit because I find them amusing. Uh, because here's what they're doing. As a lawyer, I happen to know that law has two functions. One is to be simple enough to be enforceable. If your laws are too particular, too complex. They're administratively unwieldy. You can't actually enforce them or make them work. But that's just a utilitarian cactus. And the other is to be fair. Okay? The utilitarians are trying to get to fairness through a procedure that doesn't address what fairness is. Aristotle, mm -hmm. in that respect, was better off than they were because Aristotle said fairness is giving to every man what he deserves. Okay? And when people argue, well, what, what does he deserve? The, the real answer is, well, they deserve what natural law says they deserve. And we can argue about whether or not he falls into an exception. Because most arguments do, I, I, should, I should hasten to point out. If, if uh, C.S. Lewis used an example in one of his essays, if you see someone take someone's seat on a bus, he immediately doesn't say, that action displeased me. He says that action was unfair. He says that's unfair. That was my seat. You know, hmm. Even though the guy didn't buy the seat, you know, he bought the ticket, he just was sitting in it. Why does he have a claim that it's his seat? And the other guy will say something like, well, yeah, but my feet hurt. Or the guy next to him will say, yeah, but you're supposed to offer your seat to a woman. You see? They're actually arguing about the exceptions. They both they both know you're not supposed to take someone else's seat on a bus. Right? Mm. It's, it's a matter of courtesy. It's a matter, it's a matter of the natural law. So It's also how you know everyone knows the natural law. Because they They all, make excuses. Because they, <laughs> because they make excuses. It's, it's similar to my argument as to how my son knew right from wrong when, he, when at two years old he told me a lie. Well, he, he knew, the moment he looked guilty, he knew it was wrong. He didn't just go, drat, I've been caught. I'm sorry I've been caught. Mm. No, you have to be like a, a, a highly advanced uh, Democrat or liberal to have that reaction. You know, you, you have to have, you have to truly have a dark heart to have that reaction. Usually people actually do feel guilty. Even criminals, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. Criminals leave behind clues. And when the police come, they don't, they don't shoot it out the way you would shoot out if it was a Mongol invader or someone who did not you did not recognize had authority over you. You know, they, they know they're on the wrong side when the police are there. You know, in any case, that's a separate question. So I think the utilitarian answer is, is foolish, actually, because it's trying to use a process answer to, 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 rather than actually address the real question. Uh, and then there is the final answer, which is the Marxist answer, which is good is whatever serves the revolution. Good is whatever serves the party. 
Because in the, in the Marxist worldview, Marx gets his worldview from Hegel. And Hegel gets his worldview from uh, a guy named Baum, who gets it from the Hermeticists. The Hermeticists believed that God, when he created the world, shattered himself into fragments, and little tiny fragments of God essence fell into every bit of matter, which then entrapped it and strangled it and, and imprisoned it into badness. And the way to get back to God, according to the Hermeticists, is to free, is to liberate all these little bits of God, of God spark, found in every good man and found in beautiful things, and reunite them back into one collective, where we will become a communal being, lose our individuality, and 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 realize that we truly are God ourselves, that we are God. Okay, which is well, the, the which answer, is the opposite of what of what the Christian says about becoming God by adoption. Okay, say again. Mm. But that's but that's the Eastern answer, isn't it? We're all little pieces of God trying that's, to understand the universe. That's one of the Eastern answers. Gnosticism. Well, and one of the Eastern answers have have an overlap with certain Eastern philosophies. Yes. It also reminds me of uh, Scientology's answer with uh, Zenu and the volcano. Yes, because when you're when you when you make up a religion as a science fiction writer, usually it's Gnosticism. The the Thou Art God of the Church of Nine Worlds from uh, uh, Robert A. Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land is Gnosticism again. Okay. Uh, the end of childhood's end, and I, you and I spoke about this in a previous podcast, the end of childhood's yes. end when the when people, uh, when the oh, sons true. of men divorce themselves from their own physical bodies and fly off into the universe as, as disembodied energy beings, that's Gnosticism again. That's Hermeticism again. In any case, uh, to, to sum up a rather complicated history, seems there's only two religions in the world. Bomb... Baum said that God made man and made the fall of man in order for God to become self-aware. God had to suffer the disappointment of man and the pain of the incarnation in order to elevate himself to become even more perfect than God. Okay. Now, even an atheist, I think, can see what's the logic of saying even more perfect than God. Because it's like saying, I can make water more wet by, adding, by dousing it with water. I can, I can light a lamp to look at this ray of sunlight to illuminate it and to make it clear to my vision. Okay, that doesn't necessarily think it's more perfect than God. Okay, that's what the word means. So. Yeah. Hegel wasn't wasn't openly religious, but he adopted this idea by by proposing that there was a uh, that man would make society, society would make a state, the state would make a spirit of the times, a a a, a, a zeitgeist, and the spirit of times would inform man, and he would improve or progress higher and higher, and whatever aided this progression was what was good, and whatever hindered the progression was bad. Marx took Hegel's idea and said he's going to make a materialistic version of it, a material dialectic rather than the Hegelian dialectic. Dialectic just means conversation. Mm -hmm. It just means clash of ideas. Yep. So Hegel didn't believe in an absolute good or an absolute evil. He thought that good and evil were partial truths that when they clashed brought out a higher truth, uh, an esoteric truth, a truth that was otherwise <laughs> incommunicatable to you. Likewise, Marx thinks that whatever the Soviet man, the new man, the communal man, is going to know and be is in, incomprehensible to us who are still trapped in our individual labor-filled lives, okay? So his answer is what is good is whatever aids the evolution toward the absolute good. In Marx's idea, the absolute good was the socialist utopia at the end of time, the eschaton. In Hegel's idea, the absolute good was just what he called the absolute, and so on. Now, those ideas, I believe, are actually satanic. And so... I don't think I need to debate yeah. debate against them. If your if your idea of good and bad is good and bad is whatever is is useful to you uh, for your for your mystical uh, journey to uh, destroy society, hoping that something good would spring out of the ruins, uh, you you are too far away from normal sane humanity to have a to have a short conversation with. I can't I can't sum up the problem with trying to turn man into God <laughs> or trying to create utopia out of out of anarchy out of chaos uh it, it just i'm sorry it's just it, there's certain certain yeah. boundaries that you need a lot of time to try to build a bridge across this is one of them mm. but of all the answers i just gave I, and i lost count i think it was five or seven the christian answer is first you're going to be rewarded for being good if not in this life then in the next so there's the justice that you yearn for which you can't find in life will be given you eventually Second, that it is your duty, and we know it is your duty because it's imposed by God, you see. Mm -hmm. Third, because it will make you a better person, which God wants you to be, both for your own good and for his, and so that you 
as a good person can become closer to him and more like him. Because Christ is our is our master and our model. Okay? Hmm. And fourth, it also not only helps society, but it helps the society of heaven. It brings the communion of saints together into greater harmony and joy because the angels are overjoyed every time a sinner repents. So you're not only doing it for yourself, but to make the angels sing with happiness when you turn over a new leaf. So all the answers are there, you see, but any one of them would satisfy without the others. If there was no reward in heaven, if God said, I'd like you to do this because you love me, I'd say, yes, sir. Certainly, sir. Absolutely. You know, because of, because, because love is love, because I love him. Okay. I'm not going to disobey. I don't want to disappoint him. You know, or if it was just something that was, that would improve me and make me a better man, who doesn't want to be a better man? Well, we know <laughs> Democrats, liberals, they, they want to be worse because it serves the party. <laughs> they, like I just said for Hegel, they want to create ruin and chaos because they think it will magically spring into a new, a new utopia. They actually want to be sexually perverse because they think that the, the old sexual habits were somehow imprisoning them. Okay. I think the old sexual yeah. habits ought to be tried first before we decide they're, they're imprisoning them. So the answer to why be good is there's more answers to why be good than there are why be evil. Because the only answer to why be evil is because it, uh, because I'm angry, because I'm lustful, because I'm hungry, because I want I want money. <laughs> why why be evil? Because I'm trying thinking? to destroy myself. Oh, that's the other thing. Evil is self-destructive. Evil destroys the things mm. around you, and it destroys you, and it makes your life a piece of garbage. So the answer to why be good is mm. because being evil is worse. It sucks. And you'll be unhappy, and you'll make everyone around you unhappy. And, what? and you'll make the angels cry. And you'll go to hell. So there's no, there's no upside. But also, but also, but also. And, oh wait, yes. and you'll and be you... a slave. And you'll be as much a slave as if there was an iron chain around your neck. When you're addicted to drugs, when you're addicted to porn, when you're addicted to whatever, the addiction is like a crazy master, a crazy taskmaster, who will just crack the whip in the middle of the night or whenever and say, you know, go, you go out and get the, go out and get your alcohol. You know, you go out and lose your temper. Mm -hmm. You go out and uh, uh, go out and be envious. Look at other people and try to do them harm because they're better than you. you do you want to live that way? Oh my gosh, you do not want to live that way. Because whether you deny, yeah. the only people who deny the natural law are the guys who want to disobey it. I'm sorry. Pardon me for being cynical, but it's not. There's no real philosophical no, debate here. They just. That's not. I agree. I mean, that's not cynical. The. The. Um, the, the two truths of humanity is everybody knows right from wrong and everybody wants to make excuses for why they get to be an exception to the rule. Do you remember the name of the uh, guy who coined the phrase, there are some things you can't not know? What's the name of that author? Thomas Aquinas. Say again? Oh, Jay, Jay Budashevsky is the author that wrote the book called What You Can't Not Know. He borrowed that from St. Thomas, who possibly borrowed it from someone else. So... But St. Thomas peppered Tom his Summa Theologica with quotes and footnotes, so you always know who he's borrowing from, because he says so usually. Now oh, yes, I'd have to look it up, but yes. Yep. Okay. But um, St. Thomas has a really interesting section on natural law, too, so as you'd expect when you write a book about everything. Uh, we're, we're running <laughs> out of time. Maybe we can return to what Thomas has to say about it some of the time. Oh, Unless we can, can we, we can do that. Like we can minutes. do that. Uh, I think I think we're low. No, we can do we can do it. We can do it another time. It's all good. Um, but St. Thomas has a section on the natural law, and like everything else, St. Thomas writes, you have to read it a few times. Yeah, and it's it's very correct, but very dense. His writing is very <laughs> concise, and uh, it's economic. The last yes. time we discussed uh, St. Thomas, we also had to did, did a study of a Twilight Zone episode. So you and I should pick some other mm. science fiction book or, or episode or something, and and talk about Thomas Aquinas and whatever you know, uh, Mr. Spock or because that was like fun. That. I enjoyed that. We episode. should do it again. Yes. we should do it again. We should. We should. So so and we should probably the answer to the question is yep, why yep. be good is because uh, Santa Claus knows when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake and he knows if you've been bad and good. So be good for goodness' sake, and also you'll get a present on Christmas. Otherwise, you get sticks and coal. <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> Or Krampus will come to visit and put you yeah, in. Put you in a sack and, and beat you and, and sell you overseas. Yeah, There are some pretty nasty huh. stories about, about uh, uh, Christmas in the old world that are not as happy as our yes. American stories. So. Yes. 
So that's the reason. Everybody wants to do Christmas, but nobody wants to. Work. Nobody, nobody likes it when you dress up as Krampus and put their children. In yeah. <laughs> so not a, you can't the, uh, the the big stores can't sell as many toys with the with their storefront <laughs> storefront Krampuses. You know. <laughs> That'd be amazing, though. <laughs> do you want to do you want to end on that note? We should. Well, we should. We should sum up. I think so. Yes, you should be good. You should be good because you're made by your creator to be good, yeah. and your life will go better that yeah. way. Even though it may be hard sometimes, you will be better for it, and you will be rewarded yeah. in the end. And the, the but and the thing just, about it being hard sometimes is, I'm sorry, people who are addicted to sin, their lives are a lot harder than mine. They are because they have to worry about everything. I only have to worry about God. Well, this is this is true, isn't it? You you watch people that seem to be profiting from their bad lives, um, and people wonder, like, why are they profiting when they are bad people? But why does usually a, why does a rich rich beyond belief, rich richer than Croesus, beautiful uh, rock and roll star or or politician commit suicide uh, because they think their life is so miserable they can't. They can't stand to draw another breath unless something in their soul tells them they are not worthy of living. Do you know how wretched you have to be to think you're not worthy of the gift of life? That's that's pretty mm. bad. And why destructive behaviors like eating, drug addicts and yeah. killing yourself with drugs, for example. Why, why why do that? You know, I I think that's the condemnation of of there are people who have everything this world has to offer. But this world is not enough. This world does not offer what you really want, deep down. Yep. Because you're made for love, and this world doesn't have much love in it. You're made for eternal love, mm -hmm. infinite love. Love that shatters the senses and expands the heart and brings truth mm -hmm. and beauty with it. Okay? Who doesn't want beauty? Who doesn't want the truth? You see? So if you, if you turn away from that, I mean... To say why be good is to, is to say, well, why be true? Why be beautiful? Why be virtuous? Why why is light better than misery? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, effect, effectively, yes. Effectively, yes. And that's probably that is probably a good place to end. Why be good? It's why 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 be happy? <laughs> yeah, my answer is why, why ask why, why? Why are you asking such a dumb question? You you already know why, the answer. Why, why, the answer is you already know the answer. Why why would you why would you choose to be miserable? But the answer is you know but, why. Uh, you already know why. Don't give me that guff. Okay. Now go, now go clean yeah. your room. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, please share, like, subscribe, rumble, whatever approvals you can uh, give towards the show if you enjoyed the episode. It helps us, it helps us uh, get the word out. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me, John. Thank you, sir. See you next time. Bye-bye.